Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Inspire family. So glad that we are here gathered together this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Roger, one of the pastors here at Inspire. And I am excited because we are in the middle of uh, a series on the last Adam, the last Adam. So I remember um, a few years back, this was back when I was still in university, so many years ago. And, uh, and so my doctor was like wanting to do some tests and stuff. And he said, listen, he said, I think, you know, there's this thing, you know, called gluten. And back then, you know, not a lot of people knew much about gluten. At least I didn't. Now you hear about it all the time, right? He says, but, you know, we just want to see if maybe you're allergic to it. And he goes, do you think you eat a lot of gluten? And I'm like, I eat a lot of everything. So probably. <laughs> And, uh, and so he goes, well, listen, he goes, until we get results back, maybe cut back on the gluten a little bit. And I'm like, you got it. And so I go to leave and then I stop and turn around and say, uh, what's gluten? <laughs> and I said, well, what has gluten in it? And he took out this giant scroll and showed everything. And do you know what has gluten in it? Everything has gluten in it. Anything worth waking up in the morning for has gluten in it. Everything has gluten in it. It is amazing. So I'm looking at this list. I'm thinking, this is going to kill me. And I said, listen, doctor, maybe I just have cancer. Like, at least, at least I have a fighting chance, right? Because this isn't going to work. And he was like, no, listen, we just want to test. And, you know, maybe, praise the Lord, I'm good. I'm not allergic to that. Uh, and so I'm like, well, Lord, that's your sign that I can just keep on keeping on. Uh, and so very excited. But listen, I was really distressed until I got the news. And so I remember going home and it was just one of those things that had like got me worried. And so I went home and I, I just knocked out. Have you ever had one of those days where you just, it's heavy and it's just a day and, and your eyes are tired. And I just knocked out because I needed some rest. I really needed some rest. And this morning, that's exactly what we're talking about, is rest. If you've been following us, we've kind of been showing two atoms and uh, two temptations and uh, two different uh, cloths, two different articles of clothing. And, and this morning, in sorts, we're talking about two different types of rest. And really, this whole theme comes from Romans 5, where it talks about that death entered through one man, through Adam. And just as through one man, death entered, through another man, life came, the second Adam, the last Adam. And this is important because this is all part of the story. This year, we've really been focusing on this theme that the Lord has placed on our hearts for us to be a people that know the story and tell the story. So that way we can learn the story of the gospel, but not just so we can have information, but so that way we can then go and take that information into our workspaces, our neighborhoods, our families, our friends, and be tellers of a story because this generation that we live in is desperate for a story. 
A story that's not just hopeful, but truthful. A story for both. And so it's important for us as we're learning about this story. And so we're going to actually start in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 23. And it says this. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and, his, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to them, look, 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 why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? See that? On the Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Sabbath. He answered, This is Jesus. He answered. He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Which, by the way, you can turn to the Old Testament and read what he did. But he says, he says, in the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread. In other words, they had these 12 loaves of bread, one that represented each tribe. And and these were symbolic. and, And so they were anointed. So they weren't supposed to be used for just anybody to come and eat. But, uh, you know. David came and, and he ate it, right? Which is lawfully only for the priest. And here's the problem. And he also gave some to his companions because they were also hungry. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the what? Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the son of man is even Lord of the Sabbath. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be the distributor of the bread this morning as your Holy Spirit illuminates this text. I pray that we will have ears to hear, a mind to understand, a heart to receive, and that we won't just receive, but that we will respond. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This morning, I really want to talk to you about the rest that was forfeited, the rest we need, and the rest that was finished. The rest that was forfeited, the rest that we need, and the rest that was finished. And so the rest that was forfeited. This passage starts off by talking about the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. And then it uses that word five more times just in this small passage. And so immediately we have to make sure that we know what the Sabbath is. And maybe more specifically, what is the Sabbath law? And really, the Sabbath goes back to uh, the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, demanding that, listen, you work six, but on the seventh day, you Sabbath or you rest. Now, one reason for this command was because the Ten Commandments really is, it starts off by God saying, don't have any other idols in your life. That's the first commandment. Don't have any other idols in your life. And then all of the rest of the commandments are guardrails to help you do that. Because he knows what each of us know, which is our hearts are idol-making machines, aren't they? And so it's to help us understand that, that uh, to make sure that, that we know that our work, that our career doesn't become an idol. So that way you would not get so caught up and forget what is important. Also to cause you to remember who is the one that enables you to be able to do whatever it is that you do. And so that way you wouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that everything you have is because of your ability alone. 
I know some people say, well, I don't need God. Look how successful I am without him. I built this. I earned this. I worked for this. I did this. But, but of course, you, you can say that to an extent. But, but of course, you didn't create the world, did you? No, no, you didn't create the universe, did you? Oh, no? Did you, did, you didn't do that? You didn't make sure that we have the right gravitational pull so that way we can uh, sit down and stand when we need to sit and stand. Just want to make sure, just double checking, right? To make sure that the chemical balance in the atmosphere is in such a way that we can breathe that enables us to be able to do the things that we think are successful. The psalmist talks about a place of rest where God leads us to lay down in green pastures and to drink beside the still waters that restores our body. Is that what it says? That restores the bottom of our feet when they're hurting. That restores our back. That restores our head when we have a headache. No, it doesn't say that. It says it restores our soul. Our soul. Not be, you see, and it's not, not because of my own strength and ingenuity, but because of the relationship I have with the shepherd himself. And this isn't to insult my own intelligence or your intelligence, but to unlock the vulnerability that we have between us and God. So God commanded to rest one day of seven. And as great as that sounds, the religious leaders of that day took what was meant as a gift and turned it into a prison. And Jesus had to remind them of that. Right? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so what they did was they said, okay, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but God, that's a little vague. And yeah, it is a little vague. So how do we know exactly what's work? Like, is cooking work? Is cooking a meal for us to eat on the Sabbath? Is that work? You know? Is, is you know, uh, walking uh, a certain, is that work? Or having to pick up certain, what, what is work? Because, because we want to make sure that we don't cross that line. We want to make sure that, that whatever that boundary is, and we want to make sure that we dot every I and we cross every T, because that is what religious legalism will do to us. It will make sure that we make sure we follow every rule because somehow we have to make sure we earn this thing called grace. Which is an oxymoron. But. And so what they did was they created 39 categories of what was unlawful to do during Sabbath. 39 categories. And one of those things was you could not harvest grain. You couldn't harvest the grain. Now, what's interesting is that you could technically pick it. You just couldn't harvest it. You could technically pick it, but you couldn't harvest it. And what that means is, is around the seed, there's a husk, right? And, and, and all you really had to do was kind of rub and the husk would fall off and you'd have the seed that was edible. And so can, can you imagine how closely the Pharisees had to be watching them to see, are they picking or are they harvesting? What are they doing there in their fingers? Like, what are they doing there? How closely they had, they had to be observing to see if they're, so that way they can say, oh, 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 he's breaking the Sabbath. Look at, look, look, look over there. Look, look. You, you, you see that? How closely they had to be looking. And really what this story represents is, is two paradigms, human religion and the gospel. 
human religion, and the gospel. In one paradigm, the moral law of God burdens and binds and enslaves you. In the other paradigm, the same law will bless you and liberate you. You see? And so here's, here's the thing about, about when it comes to human religion, where it says, listen, I, I have to obey so that way I can be accepted. And that's a very different motivation, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas what the gospel says is you've been accepted. That's why you obey. Very different paradigms. And so what they were doing is they had this tradition and they had began to really uh, build borders and walls to make sure their tradition stayed in place. The problem is, is that when my tradition and truth contradict each other, one has to break. So now you see why Jesus is getting upset because, because what is the Sabbath really about? Well, to know that, we're going to have to go back further than the Ten Commandments, back to Genesis. Back to Genesis. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever asked yourself this? What if Adam never sinned? Have you ever asked yourself that? What if Adam never ate of the fruit? What if Adam never rebelled? What would have happened then? What would the story look like then? What, what, would, what would life be like? Have you ever asked that question? What would the Garden of Eden been like? Because what most don't realize is that Eden, the Garden of Eden, was headed somewhere. It was heading somewhere glorious. Where do you ask? Well, listen to this. Pastor Richard Phillips puts it this way, and I don't have it on the screen, but listen carefully. He says this, God's plan for his kingdom is to establish a new creation ruled by the son and his bride who will share his glory and enjoy his presence in an eternal Sabbath rest. Now, certainly Eden was pure and certainly Eden was pristine and ordered and filled and it was as God says good but that's not the same as saying Eden was complete or perfected author Nancy Guthrie says this she says rather than thinking of Eden in terms of perfection, we should think of it in terms of potential. In fact, if you're interested in learning more about this topic of Eden and its potential, look up the Bible study that she offers and it's amazing. Eden was unspoiled, but it was also unfinished. There were things that God wanted Adam and Eve and Eden to do. Eve, sorry, Adam and Eve to do, right? For example, tend the garden because things still needed to grow. He wanted Adam and Eve to multiply. They were supposed to fill it and subdue it, right? It was an expansion project in the works. And before it could really even get off the ground, there was an interruption. So Eden was bursting with potential of what could be. And when they stood before the tree and was tempted to eat its fruit, the potential of something very different could have happened. Adam could have exercised dominion over creation, including the creeping creature. 
Which is many reasons why Genesis depicts Satan as a snake. It's not the only reason, but it's one reason. Because it's to let us know that Adam, right then and there, had dominion even over Satan. Adam could have crushed the head of the serpent right then and there. But of course he didn't. And because Adam isn't just the gardener of the garden, but he is the guardian of the garden, he allowed the serpent to turn a test into a temptation. And so when Adam, which that word means human, right? When Adam, who stood in proxy for us, he was the representative of all humanity, disobeyed and took and ate. He didn't just give in, he gave up. He didn't just give in, he gave up, you see. What I mean by that is that there wasn't just something he gave into, a temptation that he gave into, but there was a life, an existence that he gave up. Eden and the potential of that kind of rest, the rest that could have been, the Sabbath that could have been, the first Adam gave up, he forfeited it was the rest that was forfeited and what's crazy is he gave up is is what he gave up was actually a, a better version for a broken one he actually had the better version of rest the potential of rest that he had was the better version and he gave that up for a broken one and usually when Satan tempts, he does so by giving you, offering you something that you actually already have. When Jesus was in the desert, remember, and, and you learned this last week, right? And so Jesus comes in and Satan says, listen, uh, you're, you're hungry. You've been fasting, you know, uh, take these rocks and turn them to bread. Right? Remember that? But see, what's interesting is Jesus is already the bread. He says, I am the bread of life. He already has it. Oh, remember when he says, listen, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all these people. Like, in other words, here, I'll give you a throne. Jesus already had a throne. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, you see. He already have it. And, and, and Satan does the same thing with us. He says, look, if you come over here, I'll give you happiness. You already have happiness in Christ. Here, come over here, I'll give you acceptance. You already have acceptance in Christ. So Adam forfeited real rest for false rest. Wow. And that's not good because he forfeited the rest that we actually need. Number two, the rest you need. Don't worry, we'll try to get you out of here for the game. To help us grasp the rest that we need, we must first diagnose the work that we do. To help us grasp the rest that we need, we must first diagnose the work that we do. And to help us look at what happened at the fall, what we really need to do is sort of diagnose it. See, for many people, when they read the fall narrative, and specifically when they think of work, they think of the curse that Adam was given, right? That the curse that Adam was given, that when God tells him from now on, you will have to work in painful toil and laborious sweat. And we equate that curse with work. 
We think, yep, that's work. But see, God gave work to Adam before he ever gave a curse. This is why you should not regulate work down to the curse. But really, work was intended to be joyful and purposeful and beautiful. It was part of this amazing life in Eden. And that whole life changed. Because when Adam rebelled, the curse was only part of the consequence. The curse was only part of the consequence. Let me, let me show you, there's kind of these three areas that you'll read as you read through what has happened at, through the whole sort of progression from when Adam and Eve decided to rebel. And, and the first thing that we kind of see is spiritual alienation. Spiritual alienation. The fact that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day meant that he was coming and wanting friendship, seeking relationship, and we hid. We hid. The fact that, Adam, that God walked in the cool of the day. If you ever want to read a really interesting book, read The Three Mile an Hour God. The Three Mile an Hour God, apparently that is the speed of walking. And this is important because this is the pace at which God wants a relationship with you. See, have you ever tried to like run with somebody and you're trying to have a deep conversation with them, but you're like running? Doesn't work too well, does it? You know what I'm saying? Or like maybe you're at the gym and, and, and you're just going at it, but now you're trying to have this deep relationship. It just it doesn't work. Deep conversation and it doesn't work. No. Where you can have that is in walking. The rhythm to walk, you see. And he's doing that because he wants relationship with them. But they hid. Sin is running from God who wants a relationship with us. And why don't we want a relationship with him? Well, because now what that means is now sin has made our lives very different. Because now because of sin, what that means is now our lives is about power. It's about getting power. It's about having power over other people and other things, you see. And so we'll say like, I'll, in our minds, we'll think, I'll have a relationship with you as long as it doesn't get in the way of my needs. Right? As long as it doesn't get in the way of my happiness and my fulfillment. But as soon as it does, man, we have a problem. Right? It's always this idea that your life somehow has to enhance mine. And so you're happy to have relationships as long as they enhance you, as long as, they, as, long as the only thing they do is, is sort of show the good parts of you and make you feel good all the time. We like consumer relationships. As long as the cost-benefit analysis of that relationship really ends up paying out, right? Working well. And, and as long as I'm getting much more out of it, right, even if I'm getting more out of it than you are, that's fine. But, but the minute you start getting more out of it than me, now we have a problem. Now we have a problem. We don't like covenant. Where, where you're committed to someone to serve somebody, whether they're getting anything out of it now, we don't like that. We hate that. Covenant goes against the grain of the heart because sin is now all about keeping control and having power. And there's no way for a finite being to walk with an infinite being without losing control. It just won't happen, you see. 
And, and yeah, it's true. Most people in the world today say, well, yeah, I believe in God and, and they pray. But most people in the world don't actually have their minds about the real God because most people, when they think about God and praying to God, they're not thinking about praying to someone that demands loss and control of your life. Right? And so even if we're praying, but we're not praying to a being that, 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 that we're actually willing to, to, to give everything to, then we're just running from that being. You know, we might do it out of convenience or an emergency that happened or because we want to be a good role model in front of the kids or whatever. You know what I mean? But that's very different. That's very different. And so now we're constantly striving for something outside of ourselves to connect to. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual alienation, alienation. Next is psychological alienation. See, in the first instance, the relationship with God's been destroyed. And as a result, our relationship with ourselves were destroyed. Right? And so there's this whole nakedness and psychological dislocation that comes with it. A lack of ease of who you are. When our relationship with God is severed, our relationship with ourselves is severed. Is severed. That, that's to say, we, we really don't want to admit what's wrong with us. We, we don't want to admit the worst about ourselves. We don't want to look in the mirror and face anything. That's why many of us can't stand being quiet. That we, we can't stand silence and it's awkward. And, and even to just go into a space and spend, you know, 35 seconds in complete silence scares us. Because of what we might have to face in that silence. We want to think that we need God occasionally, or maybe not at all. But in our heart of hearts, we know that we utterly depend on God and we are in denial about who we are. And so we're constantly looking for identity and we run ourselves ragged for this. Psychological alienation and last, sociological alienation. You see, Adam and Eve not only hid from God, but they hid from each other. They hid from each other. And they covered with fig leaves. We, 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 we cannot bear to have other people know who we really are, can we? we? We have to control what other people think about us and see about us. We have to maintain power because our relationships are now power relationships. Not love and service relationships. Our relationships with, uh, with, with each other have been completely messed up. And so in many cases, they're superficial. And, and, and not only that, but even corporately, we see this happening. Relationships corporately is now completely messed up. Races don't get along with each other. Genders don't get along with each other. Because our relationship with God is messed up and our relationship with ourselves is messed up and now our relationship with others is messed up. And we are constantly trying to do things to fix all that. To fix what we know is broken. See, for many of us, being productive, doing, is an attempt at redemption. It's an attempt at redemption. We're constantly working, and in a way, we're trying to redeem ourselves 
We're trying, to, we're trying to fix all of these things. And so through your work, you try to build your worth. You try to build your security. You try to build your value. You try to build your meaning. All of that is you're trying to redeem. You're trying to be your own redeemer. <laughs> we, we, we try to be our own gods. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. That's exactly what happened. You see? They, they, weren't, they weren't really tempted because they were hungry, right? There, there, there was a, there, in some ways, there was a temptation for information. Because as we know, uh, kind of more important than getting the food, I guess, is knowing where the food is, right? And, and, so, and, so, there's this, and so there's this thing that we try to do. And this is why work can, can convince you that you're working hard for family and friends will at the same time seduce you through ambition to neglect them. <laughs> right? Oh, and ministry is the same way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me, my job as a pastor, don't think that somehow I also don't run into this. Oh, very much. Oh, I got to go talk to this person and counsel that person and write this sermon and do this research. And if I wanted to, I could very easily make ministry my mistress. You see. And some of you are exhausted. Exhausted. Just somewhere inside of you, in your mind, in your soul, in your bones, there's just an exhaustion. You're going to work exhausted and raising kids exhausted and in relationships exhausted and friendships exhausted and serving at church exhausted and worshiping exhausted and going to meetings exhausted and taking college courses exhausted and trying to fill out taxes and exhausted and trying to get your car worked on and exhausted and you're just exhausted and no matter what you do, cleaning the kitchen and you're exhausted and watching TV and you're exhausted, playing, net, playing video games, whatever it is, you're exhausted. There's just an exhaustion that you cannot seem to run away from that you cannot seem to escape somewhere inside of you there's exhaustion and it's just there you see and you're screaming your soul is screaming I need rest I need rest but this rest a nap can't fix this rest 10 hours of sleep can't fix you, you see what I'm saying this rest, aromatherapy, soothing sounds, melatonin gummies. <laughs> Can't fix, right? And we do all sorts of stuff to get good rest, right? Cooling pillows and heating blankets and we want our feet up and we want our head down and we want our head up and we want our feet down and, and you, you, you know what I'm saying? And we want, we want the TV on and the TV off and the podcast going and the podcast off. And we, I mean, you know what I mean? And the fan blowing and the fan. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I can't tell you how many times through the night there's like a climate change in my room. <laughs> Why? Well, because see, there's work beneath the work. There's work underneath the work. The work of, uh, 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 let me, why do you do anything at all? Why do we try to accomplish anything at all? Why do anything at all? Why? Why? 
Why? Well, you say, well, I have to because I have to, you know, pay the bills and, you know, we kind of need to eat and we need to buy groceries. And okay, but why? Why do you, why do you do, I mean, why do you do some of the things that you do? Why is it that you seek promotion or raises or, or you know what I'm saying? Why do we do those things? Why do we do stuff? Why? Well, because we're actually working for something that's underneath the work. We're, we're, we're working to make a name for ourselves. We're, we're working to prove to everybody else that we're good. We're a good parent and we're a good employee and we're a good teacher and we're, you know, a good whatever, whatever you are, you know? And you're a good spouse. And we're working, we have to prove that. We have to. We have to. And we have to prove our value. We have to know that there's a meaning. And so, we have, so for some of us, we're working to, to be intelligent and, 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 we're, and we're working to, to, to be able to have some sort of title in life. So, but why do you need that? Well, because, uh, you know, I want people to, uh, to think I was important. Why do you need that? Well, because I want to, uh, you know, I want my kids to be able to grow up and, and be proud of me. And what, well, why is that important to you? Well, because uh, I, I want them to make sure that they accept me. And, and okay, and that's important because, well, well, I don't want to be rejected. Well, why don't you want to be rejected? Well, because I'm scared that if I'm rejected, that no one will accept me. But you are accepted. Yeah. Yeah. You see. Oh, you. See, there's work under the work to try to prove that we're smart and cultured. To say that we're good. That's the real work. That's the real work. And if there's work under the work, then there must be rest under the rest that the Bible invites us to. How does this rest become instantiated? Well, God in creation, right? Look at, so God created, right? In six days he created, and we're not going to get into what all that means. Uh, but, you know, six days he created, and then on the seventh day he rested, Right? Well, when God rested, do you think it was because he was like, whew, man, I am tired. My back is out, my feet, my knees are, I mean, from all this creating for six days, this is just, I mean, I can't do it anymore. I'm out of breath and I, I just, I just need to lay down for a minute. I just need to kick my feet up and I just need some rest, maybe vacation, you know, vacation from the vacation. I just need to go somewhere and, you know, have a nice scene and just, I just need, I need a rest. That's what I need. I just need rest because my body's tired. No, that's not what he did. That's not why he needed rest. So if the rest that he entered into wasn't physical, then what rest is it that he entered into? A rest of satisfaction, you see. See, and when you enter into this kind of rest, things that used to bother you don't bother you anymore. Things that used to push your buttons don't push your button anymore. Things that used to be triggers aren't triggers anymore. Things that used to make you feel a certain kind of way or, or you know, don't, don't any longer. Things that used to stress you out and keep you up at night and torment you don't. And people that used to annoy you and frustrate you, just annoying people, annoying, annoying. They're annoying people. I don't want to talk to them. don't want to hear their voice. They're just annoying. All of a sudden, they're not annoying anymore. You know what I mean? It don't bother you. It don't bother you because they cut you in line at the Starbucks. It's okay. Go ahead. Come on. In fact, is there anybody else that want to go ahead and get in line? You know, I'm having a good life. Go ahead. Right? You, you, you know what I'm saying? The boss that's always on your nerves, the employee that never gets it. You know what I'm talking about? Always late. Think they can just help whenever. You know, you, you know, 
In other words, when you enter in this rest, the greatest thing is that you finally stop trying to be the redeemer that you can't be. Trying to redeem yourself and deliver yourself and trying to save yourself. Always to come up short. Always to be left with guilt and failure instead of grace and victory. You say, yeah, that's the rest I need, Pastor Roger. So how... How do you get it? Well, definitely not the rest that was given up, right? We don't want that rest. So the rest that was finished is the rest that we need. The rest that was finished. Verse 28, it says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Do you see that? And so the son of man, so here's Jesus and he's talking to the, to, to the Pharisees and he's saying, listen, the, the, he's talking about the relationship between the Sabbath and man and man and the Sabbath. And, and, and basically, and, and see, this has been a problem. Just so you know, Jesus be doing stuff on Sabbath. You know what I'm saying? And he knows what he's doing, you know, shady Jesus. And he, he knows trying to stir the pot. You know what I mean? And, and you, you know, he, he, he knows what's happening. So, you know, like, like the man with the, wither, with the withered hand, remember that? Man with the withered hand. And, and here they are in the temple on Sabbath, you know, on Sabbath and in church of all places, you know, and, and, and Jesus wants to heal somebody. The audacity. What are you talking about? We don't heal on the set. We don't got time for that. This is time of rest. You don't heal. No, he can wait till tomorrow. Right? They were getting all mad at him for doing all sorts of stuff on the Sabbath, you know? And so he says, he says this, so the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The son of man, the son of man. What is, who is the son of man? Who's the son of man? Uh, the title that most people used to describe Jesus was the Christ. The Christ. In other words, the Messiah. But that's not actually Jesus' favorite way of describing who he was. The, the title that Jesus used the most of himself is the son of man. It's the son of man. Yeah. And, and it's a little ambiguous but the title mostly comes from the book of Daniel, where, where Daniel is a prisoner of war in Babylon, right? And, and while he was there, he had a prophetic dream where he saw these sort of four hybrid-like beasts coming out of a, of a darkened sea. And, and, and each beast was scarier than the one before. And the fourth beast is so mutant that there's nothing that it can compare to. And it leaves death and destruction in its wake. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And what we're told is that these beasts represents prideful and violent kings and their kingdoms. You, you, you see, in other words, these beasts represent kingdoms, represents really, in a way, what sin does and who sin is. And these beasts may seem random, but really they are to demonstrate how humanity can and does act beastly. Because remember in the Garden of Eden, God created the animals, and then he did something special with the humans. 
He, he, he did something special in how he created them. And he created them in his image. And he separated them. And, and he called them to rule his garden. Right? To be rep, his representatives here on earth. But when they disobeyed, wanting to rule earth in their own terms, then what they did was they ended up not obeying God, but listening to a beast. You see, listening to a beast. This is what's so interesting about it because really when you think about all of the reasons that maybe Satan was, de 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 uh, was pictured as a serpent, and, and there's several reasons, right? But, but, but the reality is, is that if you remember it, it, it is this, is that God had given them dominion over the beasts, you see. And now they listen to one. And God knows that this will lead to their own destruction, so he casts them out. Remember that? But before he does, he makes a promise that there will be a human that comes. And this human will be struck by the beast, but ultimately will crush the beast. Remember that promise in Genesis where it talks about how he will crush the beast? He will crush the serpent. Remember that? With his heel? But his heel will be bruised. Right? And so throughout history, what we're doing is we're waiting for that human to come. But instead, we find over and over and over more humans acting like beasts. Now, Daniel's dream wasn't over because in the dream, there was a courtroom that was held where the beast was judged and destroyed. But Daniel noticed that there wasn't just one divine throne, but there was another the throne that humanity left behind. And it is there that we read Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. And here he is, and he's talking about who's sitting on this throne. And he says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me stood one like a son of man. There's that term, son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, who was, God, who was God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow. See the prophecy? Yeah. That's the human that everybody's waiting for. And, and, and in this dream, this, this human is, is worshiped. In other words, he, it's not just human, but, but, but he's divine. Truly God and truly man. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am the son. I am the son of man. What, what he's letting everybody know is that he's that human. He's that human that, that everybody's waiting for. That's him, you see. That's him. He's the true human. He's the better Adam. You see. He came to do what the first Adam could not. He is the son of man. Son of man. He is the true Adam. He's the one that defeated the beast. The beast in us, the beast we call 
sin. And through him, we are transformed from beast to being human. You see? A new type of humanity. One that, that, that one day will be completely free from this beast that is within us. Almost like that movie Beauty and the Beast. Remember that? I remember at the end where, where uh, Belle is there and, and she's, on the, she's on the whatever you call that, on the, you know, you walk off on the roof thing and what is that, what is that, the balcony. Thank you, Mom, Patty. I knew, I knew you had this movie memorized. Um, and so, no, just kidding. And, and so they're out there and, and, and what happened? What, what happened? The, there's, this, there's this hideous, ugly, horrible beast, right? And, and, and then what happens? The beast gets wounded and then what happens? The beast dies beast dies and what's resurrected if you remember the movie remember he's laying there and all of a sudden he's laying there like this right and he's like covered in like robes and his fur is all like oh you know and and then and then all of a sudden these these like sparkle things come down and he floats up remember that he's like covered and he starts going right and rays of light come through his hands you know and 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 all of a sudden you you begin to see less of the beast and more of who he was truly created to be. See, Christ does this through his life, death, and resurrection, but not just through his life, death, and resurrection, but in his future glory as well. See, the rest that the first Adam gave up, the second Adam not only comes and restores as the son of man, but brings into a greater reality. It brings it into a, an actualization, into a finalization there on the cross. And, and, then when, and then when the crucified king that hung on the cross there on the hill of Golgotha was taken down and then he was put into the borrowed tomb and three days later the stone was rolled away. Remember that? And then he came up and then for 50 days he hung out with people. Remember that? And he ate some, some fish and, and some bread for breakfast. Remember that? And, and he talked to believers and, and, and non-believers. And, and, and then his half-brother, who was completely agnostic, if not atheist about who he was, got, his heart got transformed. And, and so his half-brother became saved. All that happened. And then finally Jesus ascended. Remember that? And then he ascended. You see. And then he's coming back again. He finished it. The rest that was finished. That's the rest we need. Because not only is he the son of man, but look what it says. It says he is Lord of the Sabbath. Not, not over the Sabbath, Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, what he's saying is this. He's saying, I, I don't just have control over rest. He, he's not saying, listen, I have power over rest. He's not saying, listen, I can manage rest and I'll distribute rest. He's not saying that. He's saying, I am rest. I am rest. Do you see that? He is rest. Everything that the Sabbath in the Old Testament points to is a greater reality, a person, Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus said, come to me all who is heavy laden and I will give you rest. Your yoke, that, that wooden thing that they used to put around up, your yoke, this thing that you're carrying, this weight, this bondage, your yoke is heavy, but mine is easy. And he says, take mine upon you. Pastor John Mark Cormor says, an easy life isn't an option. An easy life isn't always an option. 
but an easy yoke is. Without the gospel of Jesus, we have to toil. We have to labor to run after things of value and significance and meaning. And this is why you're tired. This is why you can't sleep. This is why rest isn't helping. This is why you're always exhausted no matter what's happening. This is what it is. This is what the stress and anxiety is coming from. This is what it is. This is what the depression and the anger and the frustration and the impatience. This is what it is right here because you're not resting in the rest, you see. You're, you're working yourself ragged and you're not coming into Jesus he's giving you an invitation to come to come because if you go to anything else you know what you'll just find more work to prove yourself to get your value to get your identity see in Genesis God said it is finished so he could rest on the cross God said it is finished so you could rest are you resting in that? Are you resting in the work of the first Adam or in the last? Lord, we just thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for bringing us the rest that we need. And you did that through your life, your death, your resurrection, the future glory, God. And Heavenly Father, help us every time that we try to run after something else only to find work, the need to prove ourselves, the fear of rejection, the need for acceptance, God, the, the need for security or to have it all together or to know the answers or even the need to be in control. And I pray, Holy Spirit, we'll lay all that down and we'll find the rest that only you provide you as the son of man, you as the Lord of the Sabbath, you as the last Adam. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. I hope you guys have an amazing Sunday. We love you very much. Enjoy your afternoon. Go and not just know the story, but tell the story. Amen.